Law and Liberty. This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu to download this book or purchase a physical copy. Law and Liberty. Russus J. Rushdoony. Copyright 1984 and 2009. Alicito, California. Chapter 30. Politics and Education. During the early 1967 Berkeley student demonstrations against the possibility of a tuition fee, an excellent phrase was coined by some of the demonstrators, keep politics out of education. It is high time we gave this principle serious thought. We need to keep politics out of education. The state has no more business running the schools than it has running the churches, and it has no more ground for financing education than it has for financing churches. What is needed badly is the disestablishment of the schools, the separation of school and state. Education is not the function of the state. It is the function of educators, a lawyer, barber, minister, oil geologists or cattlemen, all operate without benefit of any subsidy from any branch of civil government. They survive because, first, their services are needed, and second, their service is better than those of their competitors. A subsidy destroys quality. It keeps the failures in a field of activity from paying the price of failure, from going out of business. Because a subsidy enables a failure to keep going, it keeps incompetence alive and makes it at least equal to competence. Certainly, education is necessary to society, but churches are also very necessary as are doctors, lawyers, mechanics and most professions and trades. Does necessity entitle them to a subsidy? A subsidy is a form of establishment. It is also a form of capture. Whenever and wherever a civil government finances any kind of activity, it has the legal and moral right to control that activity. If the state finances the churches, it has a right to control the churches. If the state finances the schools, colleges and universities, it is a right and duty to control them. Some will object, however, that not everyone then could afford an education. The answer is that before state support of education began in the United States, all American children were educated. The children of the poor and of immigrants were educated by educational missionary societies. Moreover, it is a mistake to think that we do not pay for education when it is state-supported. We not only pay for it, but we pay more. Recently, two schools were built in one community for about an equal number of children, but the Christian school costs only half as much as the state school and gives a better education. It must be added too that the educational tax burdens on the poor man is still very much heavier than any Christian school tuition. He pays that tax directly or indirectly almost every time he turns around. State-supported education is totalitarian education. The essence of totalitarianism is simply this, that it maintains that the state has all the answers to life and virtually every sphere of human activity should be governed by the state. The totalitarian believes that education, economics and trade, the family, child welfare, old age welfare, medicine, science and all things else need the controlling and guiding hand of the state. There are different kinds of totalitarianism, Marxist, democratic, fascist, Fabian and the like. 
but their differences are not basic, whereas their agreements are. Common to all forms of totalitarianism is a belief in the state control of education. From Plato's blueprint for a communist state to the present, totalitarian planning has counted heavily on the control of education. Christian libertarianism is hostile to politics and education. It is also not in favour of the church in education. A school is as free an agency under God as the church and state. Neither church nor state has any right to control the other, or any right to control the family, economics, farming, art or any other sphere of human activity. No institution has the right to play God and guardian over all other institutions in society. For any institution to claim this right is totalitarian. The family does not belong to either the church or the state. It is a separate institution under God directly. The school, similarly, has a right to a free and separate existence. It is an independent realm with a markedly different function than that of either church or state. The function of the school and of the teacher is to teach, to educate. If the state or the church controls the school, then it becomes the function of the school to serve the purposes of the state or of the church. Propaganda begins to govern education. Instead of serving the primary function of the school or college, the teacher then serves the primary purpose of the controlling state or church. Moreover, the quality of the school declines because the school then exists by means of a subsidy from another institution, not because it is doing a successful job. A truly successful school is one whose purposes and teachings so greatly please a certain group of people that they voluntarily support it, pay their tuition fees to enter it, and feel its existence is important enough to promote it. Under the system of free schools, unsubsidized schools, some schools will teach in terms of a Christian faith, others in terms of humanism, but each school will depend on its merits and on popular support to keep it going. This is exactly how the churches survive, and we are not underchurched. This is also how business survives, by meeting the public demand with a superior product that sells readily. Non-status education today is America's fastest growing social movement. Every year, more and more Christian and private schools are being established, and many have long waiting lists. These schools do not represent the wealthier classes only. One of the finest schools I have visited was established in a small town, and most of the children are from mill-working families, almost all of very modest incomes. These schools are being established because parents are demanding an education that meets their requirements, not the state's. Today, between 25 and 30% of all grade school children are not in public schools. They are in private, parochial and Christian day schools. 10% of all US high school students are also in non-status schools. Their percentage is increasing rapidly. This is the major social revolution of our day, and yet the newspapers rarely mention it. Since 1950, the education scene has seen a major shift away from status education and the grade and high school levels, but few are aware of this revolutionary fact. At the present rate of growth, by the end of the century, the public school will be gone and the independent school will have replaced it. Their slogan, keep politics out of education, is both a good and a necessary one. Education needs freedom to survive. The academic world has too long been a refuge for misfits who thrive in a subsidised world. The average professor today is not a scholar, 
He is ready to do research only as long as it is necessary for promotion. Once he becomes a full professor and his tenure, he becomes disinterested in learning because his world is a better hiding place from education than a place for education. Few professors are adequate teachers. They are not enough interested in either teaching or scholarship to do more than go through the motions. Carl Jaspers, an existentialist philosopher and a university professor, has admitted that the modern university is basically anti-intellectual and hostile to excellence. Because it is the refuge of mediocre men, Jaspers said, quote, the excellent are instinctively excluded from fear of competition, end quote. In the sciences, although untold millions are poured annually into the graduate schools and research facilities of our universities, the results are very poor. The basic advances in research come from private laboratories, from men who must produce in terms of the market. Science advances best, not under subsidy, but under competition and the necessity to provide in terms of profits. Subsidised education is productive, not in terms of the needs of the world at large, but in terms of the demands of politicians. The school is geared to the needs of the state, not in terms of a working world. The result is a growing incompetence in public education. The more education develops in terms of its state-oriented purposes, the more incompetent it becomes. When politics governs education, it is politics that is the gainer and education which becomes the loser. Education has declined steadily as a political control over it has increased. Thus, the National Fifth Reader from the 1850s was so far ahead of the McGuffey Fifth Reader that there is no comparison. And now we have many who look back to the McGuffey as superior to the present readers. The decline is real because the school is geared to politics rather than education and the decline will only increase more rapidly in the next few years. The independent schools are rapidly gaining ground because they offer superior education. Instead of improving the calibre of the education they offer, some status educators have instead expressed the opinion that independent schools should be either outlawed or taken over by the state. This is the totalitarian answer to problems, outlaw the competition. In 1925, in the Oregon case, the US Supreme Court ruled, quote, The fundamental theory of liberty upon which all governments in the Union repose excludes any general power of the state to standardise its children by forcing them to accept instruction from public teachers only, end quote. In other words, independent education is basic to American liberty. But John L. Childs, Professor Emeritus of Columbia Teachers College, questioned this right a few years ago, stating, quote, Unless church educational practices, which are assumed to have been sanctioned by that historic decision of the Supreme Court, are reviewed and revised, the future of the common school is not one of promise. End quote. Against this attitude, we must firmly insist, take politics out of education. Let us stand for the separation of state and school. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. 
Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.